And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 83 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, June 15th, 2015. Well, is it a necktie? That's right, folks. This coming Sunday marks Father's Day, where dads all around the world will open cards that encourage them to take it easy, look down at their fetch slippers, feel better about how their kids turned out, and generally get cards that acknowledge they are somehow ranked statistically and olympically as the number one dad of all time. Less known is the fact that this is the 105th anniversary of the first Father's Day celebration held in 1910 in Spokane, Washington, at the YMCA by Sonora Smart Dodd. Her father, the Civil War veteran William Jackson Smart, was a single parent who raised six children. After hearing a sermon about Jarvis's Mother's Day in 1909 in Central Methodist Episcopal Church, she told her pastor that fathers should have a similar holiday honoring them. And there you have it. She told a father that her father should have a day honoring fathers. Marking, of course, the first time in history that a daughter would enable the tried-and-true tactic of waiting until Father's Day to ask for something for themselves. But here at PNR, Joe and I are here to be your papa bears of content, all things content marketing, native advertising, and the world of customer experience. We'll bring you the absurd, the dada of content, and of course, the freshest news sired from today's leading publications. Like Father and Son, we'll bring you both the granddaddies of content marketing and this old marketing, as well as the daddy long legs of great examples. And we'll finish it off, of course, with a twist of bad dad rant or a rave that'll have you think, of course, Father knows best. So let's get this necktie tied, the slippers slipped, and the ball game going. And for that, it's time for me to introduce the godfather of content marketing, my co-host, my friend, my colleague, and the Mac Daddy, Sugar Daddy, Big Daddy, never going to say who's your daddy, granddaddy of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm so totally impressed you did that so early in the morning. <laughs> Plus, I learned something new. How about I that? I learned something new from you. Um, are, are, do, you want, do you want to rant at all about your travel escapades or are we just going to forget that I, all, all i will say is this that it, it is never a dull moment here so what uh, what joe is referring to folks is the fact that i find myself in toronto canada stranded um i had two canceled flights yesterday it was a 16 hour flight from los angeles to toronto through chicago my luggage did not make it and so after arriving at 1.30 in the morning last, uh, or this morning, I should say, I am now sitting in my hotel with uh, <laughs> one outfit um, and uh, looking at a week and a half trip in front of me with no luggage. So I am, uh, I'm, I'm a little preoccupied with thinking about where my bag is right now, and hopefully it can make it to Toronto before I leave Toronto. But you know what? Skinny pants are in today, and I would be going. I'd be going shopping for some skinny I'm gonna pants. I'm going to be. I'm going to be Mr. Canadian fashion for the next week and a half if my luggage little, doesn't show up. Little skinny pants, little roll them up at the bottom. Maybe no sno- socks there, and I think that style's yours. I think that. That's, I'd like to. I think everyone would like to see the Robert in that outfit. That is not. That is not a pretty sight, my friend. I will tell you right now that is not a pretty sight. To see this pasty white guy in skinny jeans is not going to happen. The jeggings, I think, is what I should be. Which what it, it, I'll go for the jeggings. Yeah. Well, the, I know we don't want to stay on the topic because we just want to move off of that. But why not go through Denver instead of Chicago? I'm just – is that just not 
It's America. Uh, you're a United guy. I fly American. American is Chicago or Dallas, and so oh, okay, yeah, got it. So that's totally, the, that's totally the way that it. works. You know, so I mean, try to try to stay out of that neck of the woods because there's it's just. Going into O'Hare, you never know. I know about, it's a it's no. it's a lesson learned again about you know going through O'Hare with uh, with check bags. It's not it's not not for the faint of heart. That's that's for sure. Well, I mean, the only thing I can tell you about last night we're we're recording this really early Monday morning because um, we have some staff that needs to do some things, and of course, <laughs> Joe and Robert are going to make that's sure what the that kids call it these through. days, folks. Do some things. Do some things. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we were up late watching the Cavs lose. And, um, you know, I'm just telling my son, I'm like, you know what, maybe, maybe it's supposed to go seven games and it'll be a phenomenal story. One of the greatest of all time. That's what I'm hoping for is a storybook ending. That's all we ask. It would be a great, great ending. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that um, I think Golden State is the better team, which is just fine. And Curry is awesome, but... It would be. It would make for a great story, and I'm. It's going to be interesting. Cleveland's going to be rocking on Tuesday here downtown. It's. Uh, you got a another- big. You got big shoes to fill too. I, I watched um, as as I was getting on my delayed flight. It's uh, uh, Metallica played the national anthem, and I was like, "Wow, that's uh, that's them showing up the rock and roll capital of the world." There, what's going on? Oh, I wonder who they're going to. They had Usher last time. We had Rascal Flatts and Usher. That's not bad. <laughs> I mean, come on. You got a problem with Rascal Flats? They were awesome. Yes, I do have a problem with they Rascal Flats. They were awesome. Flats. Oh, oh, come on, Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the show here. Wow. Our first news, uh, top of the news that we want to talk about this week is, of course, from our friends at Twitter. We could not let this go. Um, the big news that came out from Twitter was the CEO, Dick Costolo, steps down um, with lots of punny headlines and you go google them you'll find them uh with uh with uh, with his name there and this uh, story comes to us from cnn.com who said many on wall street have been calling for costolo to step down for the past year or so as twitter has really struggled to add new members generate more revenue from its ad products etc so costolo said i'm tremendously proud but i'm moving on and of course uh ev comes back um, to take over. And we're pairing this story with another one, which is sort of the evolution of Twitter more broadly. This one from techandscience.com, which is a wonderful infographic that walks through the history going all the way back to 2006 of Twitter and all of the different things and the evolutions it's had uh, in its uh, almost uh, 10 years of experience here. What did you think? What do you think about what do you think about Dick stepping down, Joe? And what do you think about the evolution of Twitter all, all the way around? Well, you know, it's it's the effects of being a public company. Man, it's the pressure and the. I mean, how many how how long has Twitter been on uh, the firing block, as as they say, to make a change like this? So, yeah. okay, he's making the change. I think it's interesting that Dorsey's coming back as CEO, and yeah. Dorsey's running yeah. what is it, Square? So yeah. he's CEO of Square, which is a, is doing fairly and, well too. And Medium, and I mean, the guy's got like four jobs or something like that. We'll talk about Medium in a little bit, but I thought Medium was Ev Williams, though. Oh, right, he's the other one. Yep, yep, he's yep, the other yep, one. Yep, but hey, you guy, talk right? about a yep. talk about a, a duo there that's doing pretty well for themselves after founding a little thing called Twitter. Yeah. You know, the the thing that I started to think about, yeah, okay, so they're going to, it sounds like everybody's calling for some kind of a pivot. They want more advertising revenue. 
uh, totally get this, but you and I talked about this on a show not too long ago. If you look at the most influential people in the world, the majority of their audience is on Twitter. I mean, if you just look at that evolution of Twitter infographic, which is really interesting, by the way. Yeah. And it goes through, you know, the most followers on Twitter where you've got like Katy Perry with 67 million all the way down to, you know, Justin Timberlake with 43 million, whatever. You know, when when people are looking to follow somebody and to get that broad, you know, as you say all the time that, you know, they want that broadcast, uh, those broadcast updates, they go to Twitter. Um so the the thing the issue that I have in all the stories that I read on this is the fact that Twitter is lost. Now maybe maybe it's a revenue challenge, although they I don't think they're doing bad. I think they're just not growing as fast as what people expected. But if you look at look at them if you say what, what do millennials engage in on the so, social networks? It's basically Instagram, Snapchat and Twitter. Those are the three that I hear over and over and over again. So they're part of the mix. They're very, very relevant, and okay, he's not squeezing enough advertising out of it, so they're going to go away from that. I, but I don't know what the new revenue model is necessarily if they don't just stay the course and be patient with it. I mean, do you have a take on what that is? Well, here's, I mean, I, here's what I think. I, I, you know, I think the, you know, looking back at the evolution of Twitter, it has become really the the audience relation platform, right? So it is, you know, I mean, at, there was another article that I was reading a couple of weeks ago that talked about the different social networks and how you interact with each. And nobody really has community on uh, Twitter, right? You know, it's, it's not the place where you go and sort of chat with your friends and, you know, do the things that you do on Facebook, right? You don't go to, you, you don't go to Twitter and keep up with what your high school buddies or all those things are doing. You, sure. you, you use Twitter to build an audience and then have relations with those audiences. And that's what I, that's why I think it's such a great platform for celebrities and artists because, you know, and also by the way, movements, political movements, you know, get started on Twitter. There is, it is sort of the zeitgeist of what's going on culturally, you know, so you can, you can really see the heartbeat of pop culture and, or the news in, in the, in the bloodstream of Twitter. And I think by that, sort of account, it becomes sort of a news and very, very topical and, you know, which is great for something that 140 characters. And I, whether or not they can actually take that and monetize it beyond just advertising, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that's still to be determined. And they may not, you know, it just may not be built for anything other than what it is, right? I mean, it's, it, you know, it's one of those things where you can continue to build on the the audience numbers. You can continue to build on the advertising revenue and just keep that growing at a steady pace. It just may not be the hockey stick growth anymore based on what they do. And I still contend, based on my prediction earlier this year, I, I still think it's, and probably now more than ever, ripe for Google to come in and take it over. And Well, how much, did Google. you see all the posts on that? I'm sure you were smiling when you saw the number. I saw a number of posts that said Google's going to buy Twitter now. Yeah. Because, and that's one of the reasons why the stock jumped, not just because Dick left, but because of the fact that there's an, a real opportunity here for, for Twitter. Yeah, so. I think there is. I think there is. And I think, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where this, you know, this in many ways may be the precursor sign, right? I mean, you know, with him stepping down, it sort of paves the way for, uh, you know, for for them to now be subsumed by Google, 
without it looking like it's like this weird sort of, you know, egos, et cetera, et cetera, that are getting in the way. So he can sort of elegantly, and it's interesting to me that he resigned and, uh, you know, instead of being pushed out, right? So he, he resigned, which means that he doesn't get a severance. He doesn't get anything like that. So I know, you know, he like, he, he, I mean, he sacrificed a lot of revenue. A lot of revenue. Well, and all those invested stock he, options you know, are gone. Right, exactly, unless he knows something that we don't. Right? You know. So you know. In other words, if I know that an acquisition is impending, I don't really care about buying future options because I know that you know. Quite frankly, They're it's not going to be good. Anyway. Exactly. That's right. So, but but to your point about the business model, you, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, "Hey, this is an advertising play and a data play." Because I mean, their Absolutely. data business is growing. Oh, I mean, their data, this it could it could ultimately be a just a data play, which is why ongoing. Google, which is which is really why Google wants it. I mean, Google doesn't want it for the. I mean, you know, the social network stuff is nice, and a replacement for Google Plus is nice. But really, what this is, it it could be the the identity system that Google's really looking for. Because again, it's about an audience, and it's about everybody's there. Um, and that becomes a really great way for Google to then pull it in and do what it couldn't do with Google+, Plus, which is convince people like my wife and my relatives who, like, don't even know how to spell Google+, Plus to get them to sign up with something that is actually, you know, has yep. an identity system which can be associated with all their accounts. I, I totally agree. I just think the untapped potential, and uh, I think it was Jason Calacanis that, that talked about this in his e-newsletter a while ago, just going back to the people who have an audience and the now that they're getting into periscope and now that you've got the video production you've got a you've got an audience there right. that you can yeah. you, that maybe is easier for you uh, to generate attention than than Facebook or YouTube uh, which has been a lot of brands have had a lot have had a tough time building any kind of audience on YouTube because they're not consistent about video. But exactly. because you can build an audience in different ways outside of just video on Twitter, then you can have that attention, and it, it'll be interesting to see. So I, I think you're right. I think in a month or two, you and I are having the the Google buys Twitter conversation. <laughs> wow, we'll a month or two. Wow, okay, I'm I'm not going to go that short, but yeah. All right, yeah. I think it's I well. You don't think it's been in the works? I'm sure it's been in the works for a while. I think because he's the one. He uh, Dick Estolos is the one that said, "Oh no, everything's fine." A week ago, everything's fine. Sure. The board and yeah, I are yeah. on the same page, right. and yeah. no, now I'm leaving. So of course you're not going to tell the media anything. Yeah. So. Well, you may be right. I mean, I look. I I I think it's happening this year. I'm just not sure it's happening. In the I summer. may be right, and I may be crazy, but it just may be a lunatic you're searching for. I don't know. You Turn out the lights. Right. Don't try to save me. You may be wrong. For all I know. But but you you may may be be right. right. Okay. All right. (laughs) That dramatic reading from Joe Polizzi, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Billy Joel. Little Billy Joel. You got it. And I give you the snaps. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving on to our next story. This comes to us from Ad Age. And the headline is, Digital's third wave is coming. Don't miss the ride. This was a really interesting article. Um, totally want to get your take on this, Joe, because as it starts out, it says it's easy to get uh, change fatigue these days. Everybody's talking about change. Um, and as always, we're hearing urgent calls for brands and agencies to evolve and become more digital, data-driven, tech-first, content, etc., And it says, you might be forgiven for yawning. In the first place, haven't we seen this before? Nearly every agency today has deep competency in search, display, paid, and even content creation. I don't know about that last one, but all right. Uh, We're good with this stuff. 
In addition, the more things change, the more they stay the same. TV continues to occupy a significant amount of people's times, um, and brands are still putting a lot of money into it. But, he says, it's no time to get complacent, and then can, uh, starts to outline a bunch of uh, four specific areas where the third wave of digital, as he calls it, is coming, and it's all sort of based on this framework that digital is overtaking broadcast and mobile is overtaking desktop and marketers are purchasing more display programmatically. Companies are spending huge amounts of money on content and Google is joining Facebook, Twitter and China's WeChat and having the majority of its revenue come from mobile. So what say you, Joe, about the four coming uh, uh, third wave of of of, of third the the 33rd wave exactly Um. (laughs) the 33rd wave of digital yeah i mean it's interesting and there's a couple of things that are absolutely true they talk about the culture and agencies and i've talked to a lot of uh, my agency ceo friends out there and talked about the high rate of turnover i mean it's a problem with a lot i mean there's a lot of jumping going around right now you're you're not seeing anyone join an agency and say oh this is it this is my career thing right yeah jump especially the younger generation it's happening um, which is an ongoing problem the one so a couple things that i liked excuse me and a couple things i thought at least one thing i thought was missing i love the first thing about the co-creation and I always, when I think about this, you know, we think about Andrew Davis and the idea of brandscaping. <clears throat> but what I love about this is the fact that agencies and brands, when, you know, when we talk about, okay, we're going to identify a content niche and we could be the provider in that content niche, it just takes time and patience. The opportunity is maybe to identify, this is what really I think this part is talking about, identifying somebody that's really making it in that niche on a platform, and they use Vine as the example and things like that, where then you can partner with that person and embrace this thing that he's calling co-creation in this article. I think that's a huge opportunity where as you go... As you know, I, I'm, I've seen Andrew Davis present on this many times where he's going up the tree and he's talking right. about his fractals. And you say, okay, you get to this fractal and you say, who is the leading content creator? Who's the rock star in that? And instead of going out and building that, you go out and partner with that, which in this article sort of sheds a light on that. I like that. And then, of course, you've got the whole date of advertising play here and it says that. And to to a degree, I agree with this. Is there's a big opportunity in native advertising, but it has to be done right. And sort of challenges is to say, hey, we've got you know we're really doing it wrong right now. Yep. So if we're going to do it, we need to do it a lot better. So I totally agree with that. The one thing I thought was missing that I wanted to get your take on, and we've you know this is historic with agencies is still this whole campaign mentality that I didn't hear about here that I think is the biggest issue where, yeah, you can say, and and I would probably agree with you where, Hey, I don't know if they've got competency in content creation. It just depends, but it's, it's all seemingly short term content creation and the data expertise that they have in the organization isn't based on, you know, long-term audience building expertise. It's based off of, you know, a shorter term, let's get the results that we can get right now so we can keep the campaign going type of mentality. I just don't see that. I don't see agencies looking at corporate plans that come through, and they look at them, and on, for the most part, from what I'm seeing, they're very short-term in nature. And they're buying – they're basically not challenging that. They're saying, okay, let's do this. They come up with the plan, with the strategy based on the RFI or the RFP, and they go forward. And I think that I think they're dropping the ball. But I get it, right? You want to take the project. You want to keep the lights on. You've got 
you got people that you want to employ that, that when you want to keep busy, totally get that. But at the same time, you've got to say no to some of these projects and say, this is not the right play. And I don't see that happening at all in agencies for the most part. I, I could not agree more. I, I, I think that is exactly right. I mean, you know, so just to riff on that a bit, you know, the, one of the four that the author of the article talks up and the, my favorite of the four was making data the true friend of creativity, um, where he talks about this idea of that, you know, analysts and creatives are often in separate rooms and really, you know, and we, you know, and, and we get a lot of lip service to the idea of data driven, which I, I, I don't like that term data driven because it, it doesn't encourage us to think in innovative and creative ways. What it does is it thinks us to think in incremental and, um, you know, always up into the right ways. And I, you know, the, the idea of content marketing and, what we're looking at, it's a different investment model. I mean, this is something I've been putting a lot of thought into recently, which is this, I, you know, we're so wrapped around the axle of the ROI equation in a campaign-based perspective that everybody's really focused on the short-term, very, very, you know, focused niche campaign-based efforts and quite frankly, that is the opposite, you know, and in, in an interesting sort of ironic twist to me, ROI is absolutely the wrong focus for campaign-based marketing and perhaps the right focus for uh, content marketing because it's about returning on an investment over time. As I've been saying lately, campaign-based marketing, it provides value in time and, and content marketing provides value over time. And the the... the to me, the agencies, there are a few agencies out there that get this, but very few actually do. And I'm not seeing the agency pivot in this way. And, and the reason I kind of made the little snarky remark there in the beginning is because, yes, in many ways, agencies are, have been creating content forever, but they've been creating, you know, unique sales proposition. They're so Their muscle memory is so tied to this idea of value propositions, headlines, features, benefits, persuasive ad copy, that they just haven't really gotten to exercise the idea of creating content that is valuable for the content's sake, right? It's just valuable because the content is there. And what we haven't seen is, you and I have talked about this many times, we haven't seen agencies buying publishing companies or com media companies or launching their own media companies and we're starting to see the publishing companies actually launch agencies and so i think it won't be long before the publishing companies start to eat the you know or or you know drink the agency's milkshake if they don't watch it well i mean look at so somebody asked me about because you know you and i rant about this whole campaign mentality all the time and somebody asked me like like more detail about it i said think of it this way think of it in financial terms you can make money both ways. Go to a financial example. I look at campaigns like day trading. Like they're quick hits. You need you can definitely show a return. You can definitely make money. It's a little bit more risky. It's not a long-term investment. If you think about if we're looking at content marketing. It's a cost, marketing, not an investment. Yeah, it's, it's a cost. A cost. It's, it's a cost. And you've got lots of costs in there. You've got trading costs and whatnot. And you could hit it big, absolutely, but you're not investing long-term at all in any one particular program. That's right. I, I, but, it, but if you think about content marketing, that's more of your diversified buy-and-hold strategy. You actually are investing in something over the long-term. There's a particular strategy. It's not going to pay off right away, but over the long-term, it could 
pay off more than anything else that you possibly do. I know it's not a perfect representation, but at least when I was talking with this person, started to make a little bit more sense. And I think, you know, we just got to get out of that. You can absolutely make money and do this from a campaign mentality. Of course, it's both. But you can't, it's infused but, but, into. But, it's not separate from, right? Exactly. Yeah. But you can't but, – but when you say investment or return on investment, I like your point there because – with without lo- having the long term strategy, it's hard to say that you're invest you're investing in an asset of any kind. That's right. Because you're really you're really not. You're, so. That's exactly right. It's a cost, as I like to say, and and this is actually in an article that I just wrote for CCO. You know, campaign based marketing is like the the gas you pay for to get to your job. You don't measure the cost of gasoline against the return that your job gives you. You know, in other words, if gas goes up or down, and the price goes up or down, are you really going to make decisions about gas uh, on on you know how how wonderful a return you're getting out of your career? No, you're not. It's a cost. It's a cost of doing business, and if you can stack enough. You know, of those things together. In other words, I can buy gas at the great place where it's the cheapest. I can take different routes to work. I can buy a car that's gas effective. I can do all these things, but those are costs against something, you know, that I'm trying to build value in over time. And if I can stack enough of them together, I do really great. But it's very hard to measure the ROI of the happiness in my job against how much I'm paying for gas to get there, especially to Toronto. <laughs> oh no! You had to bring that. Thank you. I'm sorry. Thank you I'm for that. Sorry. Thank I always you. had to had to I bring was, it home. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Darn it. <laughs> Good lord. Netflix. Let's talk about Netflix. Netflix. This comes to us from, of all places, the New York Daily News. Um, and the this Netflix deal says the headline is a game changer, and I have to agree. Um, the lead of the story is basically Netflix has flipped the movie business upside down and flipped the bird to the uh, box office. I, I kind of love that opening line. Um, Monday's announcement, dun-dun-dun, the streaming company has paid $30 million to finance and distribute Brad Pitt's new upcoming movie, War Machine, and it will do so simultaneously online, in theaters, um, basically marking the date in history, folks. Netflix is now not only a major movie studio, but also the distributor, and basically the Cineplex all in the same breath. What do you say, Joe Polizzi? Is this the is this the new way we're going to go see and experience movies? Uh, I think it's an additional way. I mean, I think that uh, it continues to disrupt. I you know, I wrote a an article for the uh, CMI newsletter the other day, talking talking about this announcement a little bit and talking about this idea is the golden age of, of content marketing. And I really believe that's where we are at now because we really don't need the, let's say in this case, the movie studios of the world to help us get our movie uh, distributed. Uh, Netflix is another example of this. You know, of course they've got 60 million subscribers. Now they can go direct. I think you'll see more of these types of examples. And I mean, just Look at, you know, we, we announced our, you know, the CMI documentary called The Story of Content that came out last week. You know, we're we're looking to distribute directly. And I think that's, of course, everybody knows this now. This is not a new thing. But the idea that we don't have to go through the media or we, we can bypass the media, we can bypass the studios, we can go direct to distribution, it 
it's amazing, I think, the innovation you're going to see out of people like Brad Pitt, out of any brand out there, because we have the audience. The same thing with the Twitter example. It's the fact that these people have so many, so much more influence than they ever had before because there's not somebody giving them that influence or saying, oh, this is, the, this is what's important. We can all determine what's more important, what's as important to us because the consumers have all the control and brands and media companies and, and corporations, whoever it is, institutions have the audience or can build the audience directly. I just think this is another example. Uh, I'd li- I'm li- liking to see or would like to see more of this. I don't know if there's necessarily a downside to this at all. Uh, I think it's great. I think it's funny. Did you read the end, the last part of this article? It said the the, the two downsides. The downside, the multiplex could increasingly become safe only for big budget blockbusters, remakes, and reboots. Another downside, Netflix is also financing four Adam Sandler movies. (laughs) I thought that was so funny. A little dig at Adam Sandler there. Exactly. A little snarky. I don't know. Did you have a take on this? I did, actually. Yeah. So, um, as you call me Mr. Hollywood here. I, I, you know, I think this is ultimately good news for content creators as well as, um, as well as sort of the artists in Hollywood because this opens up the playing field. You know, one of the trends in Hollywood for a long time was sort of the disappearance of the mid-market film, the, the sort of mid-budget, um, you know, sort of that 30 to $100 million movie. You, you know, you either had to make the next Jurassic World or you had to make a $5 million independent with nobody in it. And I think what Netflix is doing here is really opening up that mid, you know, because basically, it's interesting, you know, yeah. when you when you put movies out into the in the cineplex, to your point, you have to open huge, right? I mean, you know, the other breaking news that came out this weekend is that you know, Jurassic World is the very first movie to break the five hundred million dollar mark over the weekend, over its first weekend, which is just enormous, and unbelievable, huge, unbelievable, yeah. huge. So, I mean, so let's be clear: the big studios are still going to be the ones to finance and put out these huge tentpole pieces. But as happened over the last, you know, five and ten years, that number has dropped considerably, right? You know, so the slate of new movies, you know, and this has meant much to the chagrin of many audiences who look to the summer blockbusters every year and go, oh, it's, you know, Mission Impossible 9 and James Bond 27 and Jurassic World 32. And, you know, it's all reboots and superhero movies. and, And so you don't see a lot of originality. You know, you don't see the new Star Wars anymore. Um, really, other than maybe a Gal- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or something like that, but you just don't see that originality very, very rarely. What I think this is, does is that it opens that up. It opens up the idea that you can have a mid-budget movie come in and compete both at the Cineplex and build an audience that will ultimately pay off um, across the online crowd. So I, I really like it for opening up the market. Um, I also think this is, quite frankly, good news for content creators um, and marketers, because what it says here is is that you can increasingly look at multiple channels, and you know it's a good model for marketers to look at. You know how how to use and reuse content across multiple channels to monetize audiences in different ways. And you can see how Netflix is. You know, it's just sort of the template is right there. It's a really it's really interesting to me. Yeah, I'm. I. I I just love this time that we're in. I think there's a huge opportunity, and everything's about building that audience and then distributing on these different platforms. And 
if you hey, if you've got a great story to tell, you tell it consistently. You can be a winner in this, and I think Netflix is helping that. Outside, I guess the Adam Sandler, Sandler <laughs> movies, which I could, I, I don't know. That I Pixels like me a good movie. Happy that Pixels Gilmore. movie's coming out. That the the isn't he in that? He's in that movie, isn't which, he? Which one? Pixels. Which one is it? It's the movie where about all oh, the video he, games. Oh, that's Characters right. yes. are coming to destroy yes. the world. I and hope, he's gonna you know save what? I really world. hope that's good. I hope so too. It doesn't look good. From, it doesn't look. Yeah, it, it doesn't look great to me. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm really hopeful because. I am too. He's, it's been a long time since he's had a real hit. It, it's it's been forever since he's had a he's had any. I would hit. say yeah. yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't know. I would probably say Happy Gilmore was the last hit hit that he's had. I mean, you can count Grown Ups, I guess. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I you know. know I, well, I think Grown Ups was basically an excuse for him and his friends and their families to go. You know shoot a movie in a really nice location and drink beer and have a nice vacation while they made a movie and then if it made money, yay. I think that's... that's it's not much different than us on this podcast. <laughs> really? Actually. Think it's about just it. like, hey, we're going to talk once a week anyways. Why don't we just record exactly. it and publish it? See if anybody listens. Nice. All right, then. <laughs> Shh. Don't, don't blow our secret, Oh, we Joe. gave it away. Yeah, we gave it away. <laughs> our last story of the show comes to us. A big hat tip here to Jeff Cram, um, who who passed this over to us. Um, and uh, the headline is Medium, uh, the, 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 the platform, the company that we uh, mentioned earlier in the show, is changing direction, um, introducing a couple of new ideas and also pivoting a little bit. Um, two weeks ago, uh, the publishing platform Medium, which has uh, also become known for tech and culture blogs like Matter and Backchannel and The Nib and The Message, um, really, I, I think, a very interesting experiential platform, one of the more interesting blog platforms that are out there. Um, it says Medium now wants to become more of a social network rather than a publishing platform. Not sure I understand the distinguishing factors there, but all right. This comes at a great cost to its full-time and freelance staff, people familiar with the matter, um, have been telling insiders. Um, Medium is not a publishing tool, says CEO Ev Williams. It is a network, a network of ideas that build off each other and people and GIFs. So is this Medium remaking itself as Tumblr, Joe, or is this something more interesting, or, or what do you think? Well, you and I talked about this uh, a few minutes before the show started. I think this is, uh, yeah, this this is just them, them saying stuff, if you want to call that marketing, and not necessarily changing anything in particular about the platform. Now, a couple, but a couple changes. They uh, they're they're redeploying, I guess, their editorial department. So they bought Matter, the publication Matter, a while ago, and it looks like all the editorial now is coming under that Matter group, right? And there's instead of you know instead of writing for Matter, you're just going to be a medium editor that's or right. something like that. So that's sort of interesting to see that. But the biggest takeaway that I have from reading th- from reading this one and then the BuzzFeed article that that uh, they they pull quotes from this in the Business Insider article is that that to- total TTR, total time reading, that was the metric that Medium used and said this is the most important metric and they put it up on high and said this is it. This is what we're all going to bow to because this shows value in the content. And they told everybody, and we've all known about that. Now they're moving away from that, and they're really pushing the idea of you need to register, you need to log in if you want to have more uh, more benefits of being a medium reader or an engager in the community or whatever one I call this social network. You need to subscribe. And it's so interesting that now email 
is becoming the core dun, dun, of how dun. they're I know it's like we've talked about right. this forever but it just was just hit me because the other thing I don't know are you pairing it with this other article about yeah, the letters exactly so this just as a as a as a as a segue here we are pairing it with another article that um, from medium themselves which is introducing the letters platform so why don't you why don't you tell everybody what the what the letters platform is about talk about yeah so they're introducing this new t- new uh, product called letters which is so old school to me it's <laughs> Amazing. I love that it's so called what letters. Letters. So what they're saying is, and get, correct me if I'm wrong, because I read this. I just wanted to make sure I was getting this idea. But basically, if you are a publisher, a producer, content creator on Medium, and you build a following, what they'll do now with letters is that you create a blog post, you create a message, and they send this new thing called email. And this email, like it's an RSS feed, if you will, that goes by email to your followers so they can get an update. And, I'm, you know, it's funny. I'm reading the comments below. It's like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Unbelievable. And I'm like, well, this has been around for 15 years or more. Yeah. But it's <laughs> right? interesting. They're going, But they're going back to email, and they realize that, you know, your, your email distribution, that's steroids for your social media marketing, if you will. So if you get a, so you're publishing something, you publish a really good article, you start building a following, and then you can set it up where as you publish your content, they'll an email will go out to your followers directly and update them, and they'll have a publications management page where you can update and say yes, I want to get that, or no, I don't, or I want to get email from this person or not. But it looks like, from what I can tell, the future business model in medium present and future is going to be centered around monetizing email in some way that's what it looks like to me i don't know if you're reading it any different an address no an addressable audience as well the 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 line here the one of the last lines after all there's a certain intimacy about the inbox now here's the interesting thing and the takeaway if you're a marketer and you're thinking about this don't at least the way I'm reading this, I may be wrong here, but the way I'm reading this is you don't have access to the email addresses. This is not your audience. Understand that this is Medium's audience and they're giving you the platform and your audience will get this publication that you know that they uh, subscribe to but it's not like you can then pull that audience and say okay great i'd like to understand you know am i attracting the right audience am i attracting the segmented audience am i attracting enterprises versus small businesses versus consumers or males versus females or you know you can't do any of that uh is, Mm -hmm. is my my understanding here is that as a publisher you are this is this is the classic Renting, building your house on rented land. So. That's exactly well. It's a whole control because in in the in the new book coming out in September, of course, a plug content inc. Uh, when it, we have a whole section on there on control versus reach, and Joe Kalinowski put a nice little chart in there. So if you think about where you're going to publish your content, you can have full. Let's say you do it on a WordPress blog that you own and you control with an email. A device that you have access to those email addresses and whatnot. You have full control over that. That is your, or as much p- control as you possibly can. 
The problem is it's harder to build an audience. That's because right. It's, it's on your platform. You're not you're not bumping up against any other people. They're not naturally coming up on your content. So you have to do a lot of other things to get people to find your content so that they will sign up and then you can build them as your audience. This is great on Medium because there is a built-in audience there. Medium will help you get an audience similar to LinkedIn, similar to YouTube, but ultimately those subscribers are not yours. So you have to weigh the pros and cons. Of course, I, I think that it's worth the effort to get people to uh, to your site where you have more control over, and you can use the mediums of the world and the LinkedIn's as you do because you publish you know content on LinkedIn. I publish a content on LinkedIn, but we have an, a different kind of strategy for that. It's not where we're building our home base for audience building. No. So, but but you're right. It's brilliant. It's brilliant from medium standpoint. Oh sure. I, she, I mean, and, and, and in that fa- in that capacity, they actually do resemble a social network more than a publishing tool, right? So in that capacity, they're actually not like Tumblr or WordPress. They are actually like a social network where where you can go and you know. So so marketers take heed. This is another platform to look at as you would a native advertising platform, where your goal is to create wonderful, interesting, remarkable content that pulls that audience into your own addressable, wonderful email list, etc. So that's the that's yeah. That's I my think advice. that. I think the funny thing about it is, what's the definition of a social network today? The only thing that I can keep in common with all the social networks is that it starts with an email address. (laughs) (laughs) Think about that. Seriously. That's the truth. That's awesome. Everything else is all over the place, but hey, you got to have an email address. There's a, there's a, there's a a video that I show um, in the, in my latest keynote and workshop that opens from 1996. It's an ad from digital. Um, from 1996 and and the first line of the commercial is and it's this english woman doing the voiceover and she says in the future your email address will be more important than your home address (laughs) and it's like they nailed that you know that's the only thing they nailed quite frankly but they nailed that perfectly it's like your email address is where everything begins that's exactly right you know what it doesn't seem to be changing i I I just don't see that it's addressable. Actually, it is a, it is the one addressable way to to get you. It's your pri- as database people would say. It's your primary key. Oh dear, oh dear, it's your, <laughs> oh dear, and oh oh no, the database people would say it's your unique identifier. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Your UID. Yes, yeah, your. All right. Speaking of UIDs, we have a wonderful unique identifier sponsor. How about that? How about that? We absolutely do. Uh, Thanks once again to our good friends at Citrix GoToWebinar. You got it. There's, you know, (laughs) marketers. Yeah, we need ongoing music. We do need sponsor. We need sponsor music. We need sponsor partner music. Marketers are finding success using webinars to help tell a a compelling story across the entire buyer's journey, which is why GoToWebinar is really coming up with this brief written by this really obscure person called robert very rose obscure, very obscure who person. i who i say who i would say frequents the toronto canada area whenever <laughs> possible without luggage uh so robert you've written this fantastic brief you're exploring how and why content marketers are expanding the use of webinars across every stage of the buying journey and i think you and i see it all the time where most i say would would look at webinars maybe at the top of the funnel mid funnel but they don't look at it at other portions of if you believe in the funnel, other other 
areas of the funnel, even to uh, the loyalty and retention portion. I know you look at this. So you're, what you're going to want to do is go to go to webinar.com slash CMI. That's uppercase CMI to download the brief and you will learn why you should broaden the scope of your webinar usage, best practice for approaching content by purpose, and how to map webinars across the entirety. (laughs) I can never get through that without laughing. The entirety of the buyer's journey. So go to webinar.com. Go to webinar.com. Stepped on the CTA. CMI to download the brief. Thanks to the, the good folks at Citrix Go to Webinar for supporting this old marketing. We certainly appreciate it, and we love the fact that they bring amazing and remarkable content to the table in the process. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you to our friends at Citrix for that. All right, folks, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rant and rave section where Joe, I go, Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like proud papas. Or something that makes us feel like an angry, angry old man. Get off my yard. Um, and let's see. I have this old marketing uh, this week. So I'm so going you go first. first. I'm going first. Yep. And so maybe much to your uh, happiness or otherwise, I have a rant um, for the first time in as many weeks. Um, it's been a long time. It has been a little bit of a while before I've had a rant. So, But this, yeah, this week I have a rant. Um, and it's going to be less about this article that I'm going to – we'll obviously sh- link in the show notes, um, but uh, sort of a general attitude um, that is reflected in this article. Um, the article itself comes from CIO.com, and this is um, – we actually talked about this uh, this same uh, – I think this same writer. Certainly, I think so, last week. CIO.com has become yeah. oddly you know, sort of hate-watching content marketing from the, from the sides here. Um, and they've been writing a few. And this uh, writer writes um, about his attendance at the Contently Summit. And he opens it in this, I guess, um, he's a frustrated writer here with uh, with trying to write a novel or something because it opens up with how he's, uh, you know, as, as he says, the sour stench of urine and feces and unwashed body closes in as I walk the streets of City Hall in San Francisco. I turn west on Michigan. Mich- mean, I'm, I'm not going to make fun of him too much here, but and it opens up with this very, very, you know, sensual opening of how we're supposed to feel as he goes into this uh, Contently Summit. And he's there to learn. He's there to learn about the art of storytelling, as he says. And you can go read the article if you like. Um, And he basically sums it all up by saying, let's face it, companies acting as publishers are trying to fool readers with ambiguous blogs and native advertising masquerading as journalism. And he says, while I'm glad journalism skills are valued at marketing departments, he says it's more than a little sad to see once crusading truth seekers participating in this facade. And so that's where I have an issue because I've heard this um, a, a number of times of late. And it's reflective of this idea that's sort of just a fundamental misunderstanding of what's going on. So I'm not picking as much on this article, although I'm going to pick a little bit on this article and this writer, but a little bit. But it's sort of this idea is that 
The point of content marketing is to somehow fool customers into thinking a piece of content is um, s- sort of good and, and, and good for them. And ultimately, it's just an ad trying to get them to do something. And we're all sitting here like supervillains in a Bond movie trying to get you know customers um, to become robots or something like that. And it's using this sort of conventional definition of marketing and advertising as sort of this big hammer to define what content marketing is. And it's like looking to me, it's really like looking at, you know, like the advent of television and lamenting that it will never go far because it's not actually radio. And in fact, I just went back and looked. This was actually the case. Um, The New York Times, when television very first came out, the New York Times wrote an article that said basically, quote, the problem with television is that people have to sit around and keep their eyes glued on a screen and the average American is never going to do that. And film uh, Daryl Zanuck, who was the the, the head of a uh, 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 film studio at the time, 20th Century Fox, said he said when television came out, television is not going to be able to hold on to any market it captures in the first six months. People are soon going to get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. Well, obviously that didn't happen. That changed. And then when we cut back to my generation, when we saw MTV came out, we heard video is going to kill the radio star. Then when internet came along, we people couldn't imagine. There's an amazing clip if you go back and look at YouTube where Bill Gates on David Letterman he's in 1995 he's talking about that someday he says on the internet you're going to be able to listen not even watch he says you're going to be able to listen to a baseball game on your computer over the internet and the audience laughs the audience is in laughter like they're saying what an idiotic thing because why would I ever want to do that? Why would I ever want to listen to a baseball game on the internet over the computer? And so to think of something that brands can't offer up the news or that they can't rise to the occasion to provide conflicted stories or produce stories that aren't all bubbly and light or that are sad or that talk about controversy. To say that brands can't do that is to say that we that brands can't be innovative because that's not how it fits your worldview. That's just a short-sighted view in my opinion. And now, I'm not making a judgment one way or the other of, of whether journalists are going to thrive in this world or whether the news will, and in the immortal words of, of Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, you know, uh, find a way. Um, but what I do know is that I've long ago stopped thinking that just because a profession or a business is defined one way today, that, that it is the value or ethical lens that we have to look at it through forever. And by the way, the news and journalism um, industries right now, they haven't been lately the bastion of like honesty and forthrightness and exactitude and all the in-depth things that we sort of associate with that estate. You know, when you say uh, in this article that brand journalists now have to quote unquote answer to the man, well, I suspect most journalists who've been working for some time in their profession are going to say, yeah, so what else is new? And so this is really thorny with me right now because I'm hearing from so many marketing colleagues who are actually really innovating and pushing this forward in their businesses. They get like comments back from the lawyers when they they submit their content you know, to the lawyers and they say, yeah, this is legally okay, but is this really what we want to be saying? Or, or sales guys say, yeah, I don't need us to be objective in journalism. I just need a better brochure. Or the CFO who says, yeah, is this what our blog's really going to be about? This other thing that's not really about what we do for a living? So to all the lawyers, yeah, that is what we want to say. So I don't come and jump on your desk when it says, you know, that is that really what you want to redline out, line out, out, out? What the blog is about is really want to how you forecast earnings, or or yeah, sales guy, that is what the blog is going to be about. How's that fourteenth sales brochure working out for you? 
and yes to the reporter at CIO who claims that, quote, companies are acting as publishers are trying to fool readers with ambiguous blogs and native advertising masquerading as journalism. I say, yeah, so what's your excuse? So anyway, content marketing absolutely has its challenges. It's not a magic bullet. It's not easy. It may not even be the thing that every brand can ultimately do well. But saying it won't work because it inherently can't stand up some imaginary pillar of honesty in a quickly changing landscape is to deny that change exists. End of my rant. Well, that's a good one. I think that the key is just transparency. Yeah, it's, it's just. I, I think things that, are changing. You're, you're gonna change. Well, here's the thing: this the writer doesn't know that in probably five years, CIO will be bought by a brand, and then he's gonna be like perplexed. What do I do? <laughs> because now, what, what does that mean that I'm one of these journalists that are? I wonder if he even understands people? that right now, CIO is already bought by brands. I mean, that's that's you know, it, 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 we talk about this all the time. Everyone has their bias, known or not. Uh, and the money is coming from somewhere, uh, and you're making decisions. I've been in editorial departments where you've had discussions about, oh, wait, can we talk about that in this way? Because that's where we get a good portion of our revenues from, and the salespeople are always concerned about that. So, I mean, you, you've got to uh, you've got to look at the the full picture here. It's not that that's all. It's not black yeah. or white, which I think is what you you painted exactly. this at. Uh, but I do really, I really do believe that in the next decade, you know, the majority of media that we do engage with is going to be coming from a brand, and brands are going to make a decision based on how they can create a valuable experience for somebody, whether that's a journalistic type of content or whether it's you know more of an entertainment type of thing. It's probably going to be all yeah. of the above, depending on what they're I think trying that's to do. So, right. interesting story. I have a rave. It's really, really quick, and I've got a shout out here, hat tip to uh, Jessica Prokop. At own your own your content, so that's on Twitter at own your content. I think she sent this to you, but I totally picked it up because I um, there's this uh, article here in Biz Journal's mattress startup Casper launches newsy yeah, website about sleep. And you and I we yep. talked about this yep, on yep. the show already, so this is not new. But this article uh, which came out last week, I love. Um, so basically, Casper is an e-commerce site uh, they dedicated to selling uh, mattresses. And they are Take launching the an editorial website. <laughs> <laughs> they are launching an editorial website, which we've talked before uh, about, called VanWinkles dot com, and it's uh, very uh, journalistic heavy. Um, they're they're trying to separate the brand of Casper versus the site Van Winkles, and they're 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 experimenting. They're trying to see if this is going to work. They believe it can work. Uh, right now, this is the singular goal. Is that it's self-sustaining and independent as possible? There will be not there will not be any shoppable links or e-commerce at least for now. And this this quote that I wanted to share that I think is so important: um, the person, so the Sherwin uh, Casper co-founder Luke Sherwin says, when you look at startup publications, typically they cut themselves off below the knee before they let it breathe and make money. That's that awesome. is so important. Yeah. So awesome because. And that's this is not just with any you know any type of publications. This is any type of a content effort where brands, small businesses, large businesses, they try to monetize too quickly before they've built a minimum viable audience. They cut themselves off, and the thing never gets to evolve. You never really form the audience, a loyal, valuable audience, and then it dies. 
this is so so I so I don't know if this is going to be successful because you know we can't tell sure. for sure if VanWinkles.com is going to make it. But the fact that they said, "Look, we've got to find our audience first. We've got to find our way. What's our a particular point of view? What's going to work? What's not going to work?" And they're going to let it breathe before they actually say, "Look, now we're going to monetize this thing." Is so so critical, and I just wanted to rave about that because I wish more chief marketing officers would have that kind of mentality when it comes to content marketing. And unfortunately, most don't. We talked last week about yep. Honda. Same thing. They tried to monetize it way, way too fast. They had it in a campaign bubble, and then uh, they pulled back from it. And of course, then all the media goes, "Up, yeah. oh, told you, brands can't do right. media. Can't. It's not going to happen." Well, I think you're starting to see some really smart people. Uh, like Casper, come to come to the table. I'm going to talk to. Love I'm this going example. to talk to a, a company next week, uh, actually. And um, I was talking with the VP there, and he said, "We've been given a you know our our mandate by the CMO. Um, we've been given 18 months to 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 you know as a runway to build an audience. And I just love that as sort of the opening salvo in the business case. It was like. I think eighteen months yeah, could do, I do it. I, I do think too. eighteen. Well, as we talk about, as a, and talk about the examples in Content Inc., we look is about fifteen to seventeen months before monetization. <clears throat> I think, I think that it's, that's a reasonable expectation. Yeah, I do. Yes. I think it is as well. Good. I love that story. I love it. Take it to the mattresses. I love the Godfather. <laughs> every time I every time I hear well, that story, only. I think of the Godfather. Anyway, um, all right. So it is time for the namesake of our show, of course, of this old marketing. And this week's example, a huge hat tip here uh, to Grant P. Wright. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at at Grant P. Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T on Twitter. Follow that guy. Um, and he had sent over this and just a wonderful, wonderful example. And Joe, you are going to love this story, um, especially with oh, the good. Content Inc. thing because it's just a really awesome story that has a twist to it. Um, so Grant sent over this example of BrewingTV.com. Um, and if you're into – are you into like craft beers and, and that sort of thing? I, I could be. I'm not into into, but I enjoy a good craft I, I beer thought, on Yeah, sure. I am. I really – I've often entertained the idea uh, of actually making – trying my hand at making beer um, and um, and then quickly disabused myself of that notion <laughs> with as much <laughs> spending in time of Toronto as I do. Um Anyway, so BrewingTV.com is exactly that. It was started – so NorthernBrewer.com, Northern Brewer, started in the early 90s um, by a bunch of college graduates who basically put together a storefront for stuff that you can make beer with for home brewers. Uh, so it's ingredients and equipment and all that stuff. And they launched in uh, in 2008 or nine. they launched this show on YouTube. It was a weekly show um, called BrewingTV.com, which was basically – two guys, um, big personalities, you know, big beers as you might expect. Um, and the whole thing was about how to make beer. How, you know, they would review equipment and they would look at stuff and they would show different ways and, and all that kind of stuff. And then this is – so it was a wonderful example and it's been going for, you know, whatever, um, eight or nine years as, as it goes and very, very successful for them. But here's where it gets interesting. So as I started to do my research here, I noticed that there was this gap 
um, in in their production. In other words, the number of shows that they produce and that they'd only recently started to produce shows again. And the most recent one, which is a really good one, it's got um, uh, Will, um, forgetting his last name from Star Trek, um, the the nerd guy. Uh, Will Wheaton, Will Wheaton, who's uh, the guest star, and it's a wonderful episode. I watched the whole thing; it was great. So I found on Reddit this thread um, where somebody in 2011 was actually saying, "Hey, what happened to BrewingTV.com? I, I, you know, I used to love that show, and now it's not being produced anymore." And the guy who produced it was one of the uh, people who worked for Northern Brewer. Writes this big long response, basically saying. Listen, it wasn't a, you know, not bad blood or anything, but basically the company grew so fast and was so successful that investors came in and basically bought up the company. And they didn't believe in the show. And so they killed it. And basically when they killed the show, <clears throat> they killed his reason to work there. And so on his way out the door, as he explains in this Reddit thread, they basically sold him all of the audio and video and stuff to create the show. And he created another show. That he calls, um, I'm, just, I'm getting the name here, Chop and Brew, <clears throat> which is another show. Same thing, same. And he went to go work for another company um, called uh, da, 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 Summit, uh, Summit Brewing Company. And he is now producing Chop and Brew with Summit Brewing Company as the sponsor. So here's a guy who took his wares for creating content and the content marketing program at one company and basically applied the exact same show with a new name, new brand, everything, new content brand, and basically got a job at this Summit Brewing Company. And it's now you know a very popular show, and it's got its own following, et cetera, for Summit Brewing. Now go back to Northern Brewer. They have once again started producing uh, BrewingTV.com on a more regular basis. So I love this as an example because here it is, these two, these two shows that started up, and one guy actually took his content brand – and you know, and left, and sort of created another show, and, and it's 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 such a great content ink story, I think. Oh, it's a great example. I absolutely love that. I didn't have that in the book. I might want to slip that into the book then, <clears> just to, <laughs> at the last possible minute. I, I did submit. I submitted uh, the final editorial over the weekend, nice. so it's uh, yeah. So maybe maybe it won't be time, but. It's all nice. good. So where where are you at? Well, I'm uh, in Toronto, as has been uh, established on this show. Um, yes. And we'll see. <laughs> um, uh, literally on Wednesday, I fly to London, um, either with or without clothes. Um, so I may be naked in London. And, um, and then beyond that, I come back and I'm in New York uh, early next week um, uh, speaking at a Cranes conference. Um, and then I head off to another client um, in on the West Coast uh, and round out my week. So I'm on the road for the next week and a half here. How about you? Wow, you're you're awfully busy, and I can already see um, our creative uh, director doing a, a Robert Rose's naked and London picture based on what you <laughs> just said. A, that's not a picture uh, yeah, anybody yeah. wants to draw or see. <laughs> quite frankly, people screaming yeah. left and right. Uh, I yeah, I've got a quick trip to Orlando this week. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, we're heads down. We're making some final uh, changes, additions to content marketing world because we're less than we're about 90 days out from the big show. So we're getting rolling here. And uh, and I, I definitely do not have the travel that you do. So, uh, so safe <clears throat> travels, you. my friend. And and I hope you I hope you find your well, I will. Your re I will report if not back. go get go buy. Some yeah, skin thank pants. you very much. I'll get the jeggings. Yeah. OK, that's it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose in his jeggings signing off. And, you know, tweet us up. We love those story ideas. Hashtag this old marketing. Um, and, you know, if you like email, send us a story idea via email to this old marketing at content And if you like this episode number 83, 
We hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. We are putting all the links, uh, as we started last week, in the show notes and in the actual iTunes subscription, so you can always get it there early. But, of course, it'll also be available in the posts that we put out every Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com. And do tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, you know, my time of not taking you seriously, it's coming to a middle. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.